Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to be looking at part two of the life of Scottish missionary Mary Slusser. She's probably one of the better known missionaries of the past, and she is certainly one of the better known Scottish missionaries. And her nickname was Queen of Calabar. Well, let's talk a little bit about Mary's missionary work. In the last podcast, we wrapped up by talking about the Afik people that were in the area of Duketown where Mary had been sent by the uh, missionary group that was backing her. Well, Mary uh, began trying to reach out to people in the community as soon as she was able to. As soon as she had enough of the language, she could barely carry on a conversation. That's what Mary did. So she noticed the people that were attending church, so she began to go visit those that were church uh, attendees. And as she talked with them, it helped her improve her mastery and skill in their language. And then she began to reach out to those that attended church, but really didn't live any different from those that didn't. In other words, they attended church like they were a Christian, but they didn't live like a Christian. And she was curious. She was curious what their motivations were for attending church, when they didn't seem interested in serving God. They didn't seem interested in seeking God. And what Mary discovered was that they were attending church for the business connections and secular benefits that it brought to them. And that is not only true in missionary situations, but that can also be true in our local churches where people attend uh, for business and secular reasons. Well, Mary reached out to those people. Now she understood where she, they were coming from. Now she knew how to pray for them. So then she takes the next logical step. She reaches out to those that don't attend church at all. But the problem was when Mary was free to visit them, they usually weren't home. So what she started doing was figuring out where they worked. And then she would go and seek them out where they worked. And they didn't seem to mind. And what we see here is even as she was just beginning her missionary career, there was such a drive in Mary to reach out to the lost. That drive to seek, in, uh, to seek out those, uh, as the Bible puts it from the uh, highways and the hedges and the byways, to seek them out. You know, we sometimes forget that. We believe that if we build a church, we will draw people in. But maybe we should take more cues from missionaries who, instead of just trying to draw people in, we should look at what Mary did and began to reach out to those that were truly in need. Well, there was a limit to how much uh, Mary could reach out in the immediate vicinity around Newtown. The next area for Mary to reach out was the jungle. Mary was scared. Now, in our last podcast, I said that I wouldn't say Mary was a fearless missionary, but she was courageous. She had fears, legitimate, common-sense fears, but she faced them. So, what did she have to fear out in the jungle? Well, there was wildlife. Uh, there were leopards. And there was an interesting incident that comes up with a leopard that we'll talk about later. But there were leopards. Hippos were in extreme danger if you were traveling by river or um, by water in general. Uh, there were, I believe in uh, Africa it is crocodiles and not alligators, so they had crocodiles. They had 
and I'm gonna, I, I'm just gonna use slang for this. They had ginormous lizards, okay? Monitor lizards, those things are huge. They look like something out of a horror movie, and it was actually a horror movie called Komodo Dragon. So, yeah, they are scary. They're very large lizards. And those were just a few of the things that Mary knew was in that jungle out there. There were all kinds of snakes, all kinds of dangerous reptiles, all kinds of dangerous insects. And she knew that if she was going to really make an impact for the Lord in Africa, she had to be willing to enter the jungle where those things were. So Mary gave herself a talk, talking to. She uh, began to think about this, and she, uh, she was inspired a lot by Livingston uh, from the saying, Dr. Livingston, I presume. He was one of the uh, very famous missionaries in Africa. He was recruited by Robert Moffat, who, if I remember correctly, uh, Mary Slessor knew personally. And so she was inspired by Livingston, and he had always talked about how true missionaries shouldn't always be staying near the cities, but they should be willing to reach out to the villages, reach out into the furthest regions. And it's uncomfortable. It is hard work as, uh, to be a pioneering missionary. But that's what Mary felt like the Lord was calling her to. Well, she was invited uh, to visit a area called Creek Town. She was invited by its king, by the tribal leader. And she was, I apologize if this presentation is a little rough. I haven't been feeling really well, so this one might be a little rough, but I'm trying really hard to keep on track with this and keep it going smoothly. Well, she was invited to visit Creek Town, and this is going to make a big difference for Mary when she begins to go further inland. Um, the king of Creek Town invites her as a missionary. He invites her to come. She's invited to eat with him. And Mary said, I think that she had never had to eat so much food in her entire life. And she had to eat a ton of food. And she couldn't reject it because that would be impolite. And so she kept pretending it was European food that she was accustomed to. I love her use of imagination. She would look at this bowl of a, a dark, dark soup. And she would pretend it was just some Scottish meal that she was used to and she managed to get through it and not only that but Mary made a huge impression on the uh, king in Creektown so that was a big impact that was a very key moment in Mary's development as a missionary and it reminds me of what Amy Carmichael had to say when she was uh, uh, doing missionary work in Japan and had to eat things that she too was not familiar with. She made up a little poem and it said, Where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. <laughs> so that's what, that's what that makes me think of. But that was one of the big challenges that uh, Mary faced is trying to be polite and eat the food. And my goodness, she, she talked about how much food they just kept bringing out. Well, Mary, as we said, she was kind of afraid of going into the jungle. She felt ashamed of herself for her fear. And she thought to herself, what would Dr. Livingston, my hero, think of me? So Mary did something really smart and something that we could learn from. She took her fear 
And instead of rolling it over in her mind and thinking about it and worrying about it, she took it to the Lord in prayer. And I'm reminded of that scripture, and this is one of my favorite scriptures. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That scripture has gotten me through so many difficult times. And that's the key thing. We may be ashamed of our fear, but we need to take that fear to Jesus. Let's face it, he already knows we're afraid. So why not go ahead and go to Jesus and just lay this fear out and let him help us overcome it. Let him give us the grace to overcome it. How can he help us overcome it if we don't bring it to him? So after Mary takes this to the Lord in prayer, she's ready to go out into the jungle. She's ready to do what she feels like the Lord is leading her to do. Now, another thing about Mary is she is always immensely practical and uses common sense. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you don't need to use common sense anymore. I'm reminded of an elderly saint one time. There was a little bit of a debate going on between some ladies, and one of them said, have faith. And I always remember uh, the older lady's response. Use the good sense the Lord gave you. Well, Mary used the good sense the Lord gave her, so she didn't head out into the jungle alone. She convinced some of the local boatmen to go with her. And she was scared, but she ventured forth, and as Mary began to step into that jungle, the fear disappeared. Well, they're walking through the jungle. She's there with the boatmen, and she's, you know, cutting up with them. She's talking back and forth with them, and she got curious about how close they actually were to the village that she was wanting to visit. And so, I love this. Mary still has so much, I think, of uh, girlishness about her at this point. She takes her shoes off, and she climbs up a mahogany tree. And she looks, she gets up there about 20 feet high. 20 feet high. And she looks, and she can see the village. And the boatmen were absolutely shocked. They had honestly never seen, probably never seen a missionary climb a tree 20 feet, much less a female missionary. Well, Mary comes back down the tree and she makes sure to shake her shoes out because she knows that it doesn't take long for nasty little critters to get in there and they can cause quite a surprise if you put your foot in there without looking first. So they start getting closer to the village and Mary comes up with a real clever way to enter the village without creating a stir with her appearance. Okay, remember, she was... uh, a redhead. She had flaming red hair, and a lot of them had never seen red hair before. She also had a very uh, light complexion, being Scottish, and, you know, they weren't used to seeing people of light complexion, especially uh, women, especially women with red hair. So she decided that it would be better to have a little bit of a distraction going on in the village as she walks in. So she looks over to the boatman, and she says, Last one of the village is a monkey, and they take off running. And they go dashing into the village. And as they do, <laughs> as they go dashing in the village, they land in a, they all stop in the middle and kind of lose their balance. And they're laughing and cutting up, and the villagers are all looking at them. And they were followed by a very calm, quiet, dignified little missionary lady. 
And they cracked up even more when they realized she kind of played a prank on them. And they thought it was funny. And they really liked her and respected her. Now, this particular village, as Mary had predicted, had never seen a woman with red hair before. And they were fascinated by this. And so they all wanted to look at her hair. They all wanted to touch her hair. And she was fine with that. And that was also... uh, First time she encountered what was known as a fattening house. In that particular area, uh, one of the practices was to basically fatten up the young women before they got married. It was considered a sign of prestige for the husband to have a fat wife. What we would call a fat wife. I don't mean to be, uh, I don't mean to be offensive in this. I certainly myself am not skinny, but they wanted a wife that. To put it as we say in Texas, had some meat on her bones. And it showed that they were able to provide for her very well in terms of food and such. So she met some of the girls that were there in the, the fattening house. They were kept in a uh, enclosed area so that they couldn't get in trouble, so their morals wouldn't be compromised. And basically, the job of the ladies that worked there was to fatten these girls up. This was also the time, first time that Mary encountered drunkenness among women. And she was very shocked by this. Remember her father, her father was an alcoholic. And her mother, oh my goodness, her mother certainly was not. Her mother didn't drink. And so this was quite a shock for Mary. And another area she saw where she needed to pray, where she needed to do battle against the powers of darkness. So that was... uh, one of Mary's first adventures as she dove deeper into the jungle. Okay, now there's another funny thing that happened to her one time as she's traveling to these villages in the jungle with the boatmen with her. They're walking down a path, and a young leopard steps out in the middle of the path. Now, leopards are predators, and there was a chance it might attack one of them, at least in their minds it was. Well, Mary wasn't sure what to do. You know, your first instinct is to run, but that's probably not the best idea with an animal that can run a lot faster than you. And so, you know what Mary did? She began to sing a hymn to it. And so help me, as she began to sing that hymn, that cheetah sat down in the middle of the path and listened to her. And then when she finished the hymn, it looked at them, and then it walked off back into the jungle. So I, think, I always like that story. I think that's pretty cool. And one more one more quick story about uh, some of Mary's adventures. I mentioned one of the dangers in waterways in Africa was the hippos. They're very dangerous. They can overturn a boat so easily, and they have these powerful jaws. Not that they want to eat people, but you can get caught in their jaws, and you're dead. Well, Mary was on a boat, and there was a cast-iron pot near her that had a very big cast-iron lid, and this hippo raises up out of the water right beside that boat and throws its mouth open. And they can chomp on the, they can close that mouth onto that boat and just destroy it. And Mary took that cast iron pot lid and stuck it in the hippo's mouth. (laughs) Quick thinking, quick thinking. But that was uh, Mary's first adventure into the jungle. Now, we can see is uh, Mary begins to gain more and more influence with the locals, especially those deeper in the jungle. Uh, There was an incident where a king who had multiple wives discovered that two of his wives had cheated on him. 
And so he sentenced them to a hundred lasses each with a crocodile hide. In other words, they were going to be whipped 100 times with a crocodile hide. Now, a crocodile hide is going to be rough. It's going to tear the skin to pieces. Mary tried to intervene on behalf of these women, but she was told that if they, she stopped them from being punished, then her religion would be rejected because it didn't punish wrongdoing. That's a problem. And so Mary called a palaver, um, a meeting, and she was able to work out a lesser sentence for these women. And when they received their sentence, Mary talked to them, and she said, you have betrayed your king's trust, and that was wrong. And she made it clear to the people that she was not she was not saying what they did wasn't wrong. She was not excusing what they did. And even though she didn't believe the king should have multiple wives, in her own opinion, she did say they had betrayed his trust, and they, they had. And they were whipped. They were not whipped with a hundred lashes each. That would probably have killed them. But they were whipped. And after they were whipped, Mary had a, a balm prepared that would work as an analgesic and take away some of that pain. And she applied that to the young women's backs. And um, you know, you know they had to appreciate what Mary had done for them. Even though she had not gotten rid of the punishment. She had it lessened where they weren't sure to die because of it. And can you imagine the impact that had in that area of those that were friends or family, loved ones of those two women? How much appreciation they must have had for this little missionary lady that stood up for their daughters. And I think that's neat. I think that's neat. And I think it's so neat how the Lord can use situations like that to reach people that might not be able to be reached otherwise, to touch people's hearts that might not be able to be touched any other way. Well, Mary is uh, busy doing her missionary work in the compound. She's busy doing her outreaches. She's busy venturing into the jungle. But her body hasn't completely adjusted to the climate in Africa, which obviously is going to be far, far different from Scotland. So Mary got very ill, and the, the name that they had for what she was sick with was jungle fever. And Mary said she was so sick that even her hair hurt. And you know you're sick when your hair hurts. And she was sent home on furlough, and this was her first furlough in three years. And Mary hadn't seen her mother and her two sisters in those three years, and she was so, so excited to see them. But when she got there to visit them in Scotland, she was distressed that they were still pretty much living in ghetto conditions. They were in a single-room flat, and she just couldn't bear that. She couldn't bear to leave them there like that, and so she rented them an apartment and help them move. And the way that Mary play, paid for this apartment was out of her salary. See, she was paid a salary as a missionary. Part of her salary went to pay for her room and board at the missionary compound. And the one that she was at, Duke Town, was one of the most expensive missionary sites in all of Nigeria. And so in order to have money 
to help her family back in Scotland, Mary began to pray about the Lord letting her work at another one of the missionary sites that would be cheaper and would give her more access to people that hadn't heard the gospel over and over, namely Creektown or Old Town. Remember earlier when I mentioned that the king of Creektown had invited her and was very impressed with her. See, that's, that's where this is going to come into play again. So Mary, again, distressed at the impoverished condition of her mother and sisters takes more of her own salary that she needs to survive in Africa and is having it sent back to them and praying for the Lord to help her find a more economical situation in which to work. The Lord is going to work things out for her. Now, the rest of the time that Mary was on leave, on furlough in Scotland and in Europe, she was speaking, and she was very much in demand as a speaker. So, um, speaking in public was not a problem for Mary if it was before a group of women. But as I alluded to in the last presentation, it was a problem if there were men present. And Mary once said that she would rather face a leopard in the hinterlands of Nigeria than a row of judgmental Scotsmen. And she had faced a leopard in the hinterlands of Nigeria, if you recall the young leopard that was in the path, and she faced it like, eh, you know, it didn't bother her. And yet, the same young woman that could face a leopard, that could face violent people, that could face the Nigerian equivalent of the mafia's hitmen and stand toe-to-toe with them and not, not blink, couldn't stand to talk before a group of, as she put it, judgmental Scotsmen. And Mary concluded that this was her thorn in the side. And so she just tried to work with it. In one incident, there was one man, he really wanted to hear Mary speak. And the lady said, would you please let him come into the meeting? And she said, well, he, can, you, can you put him somewhere? I can't see him. And the ladies agreed. They put him behind a pillar, and he was able to hear Mary speak. And I don't think this gentleman was judgmental at all if he was wanting that much to hear her. But that was the only way that Mary could handle it. Well, another interesting thing that happened while Mary was on furlough. Okay, this is really interesting. She was on her way to Scotland, and she was going over a fairly newly constructed bridge over the River Tay. And Mary got a weird feeling as they were approaching this bridge. And she voiced concerns over its stability. And she was treated like an idiot. And you know what happened? Before Mary went back to Africa, that bridge collapsed. So it's almost like it was a prophetic word. And nobody paid attention. I thought, that is just uncanny. Just uncanny. Well, um, Mary requested a different area to work in as she was heading back to Nigeria. And remember, she was a missionary with the Presbyterian Church. Well, as the Lord would have it, her request came just as the Presbyterian Mission Board was considering a move to make women missionaries more independent and give them more authority in the field. So they decided to kind of have an elder missionary 
evaluate Mary, evaluate her fitness to uh, do some more pioneering type of missionary work. So when Mary sailed back for Nigeria, she sailed back with longtime missionary Reverend Goldie and his wife. And she noticed that he seemed to be watching her really closely the entire journey. Now, she had no idea the Presbyterian Mission Board had asked him to perform an evaluation on her. And she noticed, you know, him watching her. Now, he was one of the experts on the Ifik language. Now, that's the language of the people that she had been working with. And remember what I said about Mary going out and talking to people to get a better mastery of the language, to get a conversational mastery of the language where she would be able to preach to them eventually and communicate the gospel with them. Well, um, as I said, Reverend Goldie is an expert on this language, and among his, his other activities on board the ship was editing a dictionary of the Afik language. Now, he discussed this dictionary with Mary. And he was so impressed with this young woman's mastery of the Ifik language that he often deferred to her understanding of what a word meant as he was preparing his dictionary. Now, he and his wife were greatly impressed with Mary. And they made a recommendation to the Presbyterian Mission Board that Mary be allowed to... Uh, be stationed in Old Town. And again, Mary had no idea he was evaluating her. But as he looked at her and prayed about it, he felt like the Lord had equipped her with what she needed to be able to do this work. And so, the Lord answered Mary's prayer. She was able to move her missionary work, not only further inland, but also where it wouldn't cost so much room and board so she'd have more money to send back to her family in Scotland. Well, Mary gets sent to Old Town, and she soon settles in in an abandoned hut that had been built for the missionaries. Now, um, being abandoned in a jungle area like this means that it was overtaken by nature. It was filled with critters and debris, including insects, spiders, and lizards galore. So, Mary goes in. And she throws out the squatters. She gets rid of the critters and the debris. She cleans it up, sets her things up, and then hires a young local woman to help her. And she quickly went over the village, um, at least the women and children. They became very attached to her. And part of Mary's daily routine included medical treatment for people's infection and illnesses. She also taught classes. And on Sunday, Mary would hold three services a day in three different villages. She would also teach Sunday school. Now, this is where uh, Mary went from being a rather European-style missionary to being a very practical missionary. As I've said, Mary is very practical. After her first Sunday, venturing through the woods and the jungle to get to the different villages... Mary discarded the petticoats under her dress. Then she quit cinching in the waist of her dress. And then Mary discarded her shoes because European shoes just didn't work out for the type of adventures that Mary was going on. And so probably in the eyes of the other European missionaries, she was an absolute horror. But 
this was practical for her. This was what was going to work for her. Now, the next thing that happened was her hair. Mary couldn't take care of that really, really long hair. So she cut her hair. She cut it quite short. And her assistant, who helped her cut it, she found out her assistant was selling her hair. Um, Mary discovered that her flaming red hair was being used for witchcraft and fetishes. And she was very indignant about that. And I think she threatened the people with an inch of her life if she found out her hair was being used for witchcraft and fetishes. But we can see the attraction there would be for that. Now, even though Mary discarded the petticoats under her dress and she quit cinching it in and she cut her hair, she still wore a full skirt and a fairly high collar. And she carried an umbrella with her to protect herself from the sun. Being a redhead, no doubt she burned quite easily. And from having some friends that are redheads, my understanding is there is no tanning. There's just white, and then they're severely burnt. And so I can see why she was uh, carrying an umbrella. They certainly didn't have sunscreen then. Well, uh, Mary, being further out, like she was further out into the jungle, was going to have to be dealing a lot more with kings and being in charge of her own little missionary compound she would be dealing with them directly not through older more mature missionaries so mary followed the guidance of livingston in dealing with the kings and to paraphrase that in kind of a modern lingo it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission she would be polite to the kings but she wasn't going to wait for their permission to do something and she knew that if they were displeased with what she would done, she had done, she would certainly find out. And so that's kind of what led to Mary's first encounter with the Egbo runners. Now, we talked a little bit last time that they were a secret mafia-like society that dealt out their version of justice. They were enforcers. Many times they acted as hitmen. They were feared by all except free men. And even free men didn't want to be in their line of fire. So one day, as Mary was there in Old Town doing her uh, daily missionary work, a cry went out that the Egbo were approaching, and everyone ran and hid except for a handful of freemen. Mary, Mary stood her ground. Now these guys were scary. They wore large masks to hide their identity, uh, these masks had, uh, I think, animal hair and uh, pr probably some human hair, too, for a horrific-looking wig. They were scary to look at, even if you don't consider the amount of power they had. Well, Mary saw the Egbo runners were chasing a young woman, and they were going to kill her. And Mary steps between them and the woman. And they looked at her, and they start using their whips to intimidate her. And they're, they're popping that whip closer and closer and closer to Mary, closer to her face. And Mary stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, and she didn't flinch a bit. And then, as they kept doing it, Mary got out her umbrella and started poking at them with her umbrella. You know, when I first read this as a teenager, I was like, 
Oh my goodness. What is she thinking? But that's what she did. She starts poking at him with her umbrella. And what happened is she managed to distract them long enough for that young woman to escape. They weren't able to find her. She escaped. And Mary wasn't harmed either. And as she was going through this process of them trying to intimidate each other, she could tell from their language, they probably didn't realize that she spoke their language so well, that they were discussing that maybe it wasn't a good idea to harm a white woman with fiery red hair. Maybe that would be bad luck. But they eventually went on their way. Can you imagine what the locals that were hiding and watching this whole thing transpire, what they thought of Mary? I mean, the courage that she had. And again, when it was time to get in front of a group of people to speak in Scotland, if there were men in the audience, she couldn't do it. And that just goes to show that, you know, as humans, we're going to be complicated and we're going to have our quirks, and that's okay. But I read that, and I thought, that has got to be so courageous of her. But you know what? She was emboldened by the commission that she had from God to be there. She was emboldened by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, who would get, was able, because Mary spent so much time in the Word and in prayer, she was able to quickly receive those instructions from the Lord on what she needed to do. She was able to understand and interpret that guidance so quickly in a situation like that that requires a snap judgment, a snap decision. And that's the thing. If we want to be able to have God's wisdom in times where there are snap judgments, snap decisions that have to be made, we have to spend time with God. We have to spend time seeking God. We have to spend time in His Word. Uh, there were, have been pictures posted of some of the pages out of Mary's Bible. And you can tell she studied this Bible. There are notes all over it. There are annotations. And she studied it and she lived it. Every decision that Mary made as a missionary, whether it was related to religion, whether it was related to justice, whether it was related to um, just working with people, she based it upon the teaching of the Bible. And I think that's neat, that when you get that close to God where you can receive that snap instruction and know what it is that you need to do. Well, there was another issue among the effete people involved twins. And again, this is something I alluded to also in the last presentation, in the last podcast. At that time, about one of every 100 births would be twins. But Mary noticed in Africa, in Nigeria, that she had never seen a twin. And one day, a white trader, a European trader, came to her, and he brought her a tiny little baby girl that he had found out in the jungle in a jar. This baby girl was just a few days old, and he had the brother hidden in his canoe. And he asked Mary, would she be willing to take this baby girl? And she said, yes. And she said, I have someone that can take the brother. Now, the reason Mary didn't take the brother is if she kept the twins together, people would notice they were twins. And so what was happening is that people believed that a woman couldn't conceive twins unless she had had relations with the devil. So that made one of the twins the devil spawn. 
And so they weren't sure which one was the demonic, demonically influenced one, so they would kill both of them. And usually what they did, their way of killing the babies, was leaving them out in the jungle to die of exposure or to be eaten by wild animals. And I've seen pictures of the kind of jars that they've used to put those babies in. Well, of course, that breaks Mary's heart, and she adopts this little girl, this little, little baby that was brought to her just a few days old, and her name was Janie. Mary named her after her own sister. And Janie would be just the first of many twins that were brought to Mary. And Janie is going to be kind of Mary's right hand in a lot of things through the years. But Mary loved kids, and she ended up with quite a few kids that she adopted. But one of the things that Mary's remembered for in Nigeria is her work and changing people's attitudes about twins. Um, one of the statues that was made to memorialize Mary Slessor and her work in Nigeria shows her standing there, and in each arm is a little twin. And that's, that's the people's way of thanking her for what she did in changing their culture and their society's view of twins. There is no telling how many lives were saved through not just the kids that Mary adopted, but the influence that she had over the area. And in one, I believe in one of her old, in one of her books, there's a picture that, uh, it may have been, uh, it may have been part of what was kind of like a slideshow that they would do when she would get back on furlough, but it's old Calabar, and it shows a basket of twins that, Mary and her group had rescued. And there's a basket here, and it's got four little babies in it and two little toddlers sitting outside of it and a couple of older kids standing behind it. And so she had a huge impact uh, on twins. Now, let's talk a little bit about Janie, okay? Again, if you look for pictures online of Mary Schlesser, you are usually going to see pictures of Mary with little kids around her, Okay. Well, Mary learned that Janie's mother had been murdered for having twins. Can you imagine, uh, those of you ladies that are mothers, can you imagine being murdered because you gave birth to twins, something you have absolutely no control over? Well, Mary found out that Janie had been taken into the jungle by an uncle. And years later, Janie's father heard that the babies had been rescued, and he found out where Janie was. And he shows up. But he doesn't want to interact with Janie. He just wants to see her from a distance. And you have to think that there was grief over losing his wife and losing his kids. And wanting, it's touching that he just wanted, he didn't want to interfere in Janie's life. He just wanted to see her. And Mary finds out who he is, and she insists on introducing him. And he just falls in love with this little daughter of his. And he had gotten remarried since her mother had passed away, and his new wife fell in love with her. Now, Janie stayed with Mary. Um, he never I love it, too. He never tried to take Janie away from Mary. He knew that Mary had been raising her. He knew she had a good thing with Mary. But he would bring her gifts and food. So I thought that was kind of sweet, the uh, way the Lord moved through little Janie's life. And 
how the Lord was taking care of that baby. So, all right. Now the Lord opens up a door for Mary to begin to visit a village called Ibaka, which is much, much further inland. But we're going to save that adventure for part three of Mary Slessor. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and I thank you for listening.